Our sermon text this morning comes from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door inside the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they said to them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and drew their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before, those who were following, were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, it was already late. And he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. If you haven't already, go ahead, turn to Mark 11, and we'll go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we ask quite simply, that you would just give us hearts to adore your Son. That we would see Him in all of His humble majesty. And you would enliven our hearts to cry out to Him. To cry out to Hosanna in the highest. God, let us also approach this text with a sober awareness that many of these people within several days would also be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Do not let us be the soil that is hard and the birds came and, and took the seed. Do not let us be the soil where your word springs up, but Soon the sun will come and wither it away. Do not let us be the soil that it grows up in the thorns and everything's going well, but the cares of the weak and the cares of the world come and choke it out. God, let us be by your providence and by your nurturing care. Let us in our hearts be the good soil. And we will have a hundredfold fruit of your word and the movement of your spirit in our lives. So we ask this in the name of your Son. Amen. Private William Hale enlisted out of California for World War II. Very quickly, he was shipped off to the European theater. 
And he throws through the Battle of the Bulge here towards the end of the war. He liberated the Ordorf concentration camp. And he was pressing into Germany with his other men. And they overtook the city of Steinbach-Hollenberg in eastern Germany. And there he met his wife. An American GI gets his German bride, who is Rachel's grandmother. And you know how these men would come rolling in the town with their artilleries and their guns, their jeeps and their tanks. And they wanted you to know that they were conquering by force and it was by force that they were going to maintain their control over the people. So if you want to know the heart of a military or a kingdom, watch how they enter a city into victory. If you want to know the heart of a king, watch him enter into a city in victory. Pompey rides into Rome and he has arranged his chariot to be drawn by four elephants that have been harnessed and they're too big to make it in through to the city so they have to go to plan B but that's how he's going to enter and the, this procession I mean you get bored after like 20 minutes of a parade you know you, you run out of material pretty soon it's the local well drilling guy and then the, the school buses are going by in the parade you run out no Pompey has two full days of this procession of, of former kings they've conquered and their wives slaves and soldiers exotic animals and more elephants being tranced through the city of Rome then followed up by coffers and coffers filled with gold going into the treasury of Rome communicates something about him. Which is also why we have the word pompous, actually. Julius Caesar enters into Rome, drawn by his chariot, riding his chariot, drawn by four white, massive, beautiful horses. Inscription on the side and banners that are, are waving are inscribed, Vini, vidi, vici. I came, I saw, I conquered. It communicates something about who they are and how they're going to rule. Compare this with our Christ. So our Lord and His entry is this perfect picture of this upside-down kingdom and all that he was going to represent. Here he is, the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. But without a sword, but he himself coming to be the sacrifice. Humbly riding into the eastern gates of Jerusalem. So as we go through this text, what I want us to have is the same parts of the people. They respond in the perfect way. They see the king of all kings and they, they adore him. So just as we're going through this text, pray that God would give you a heart to adore Christ and see him for all that he is. So we're going to look at here, uh, verses 1 through 3, you see the command of Christ go out. Verses 4 through 6, we're going to combine these two sections actually. Um, 4 through 6, we see the obedience of the people. And then finally... Verses 7 through 10, we're going to be looking 
at the people and their adoration of Christ. Let's step back a little bit and give a little context to what's going on. We're entering in, as you very well know, into the Holy Week. And this throughout the liturgical calendar, it's been preparing our hearts. This whole week's been preparing our hearts for the glory of the resurrection. The cries of adulation, coming of Christ coming into the city here, happening on Sunday. And then Sunday evening, he goes and retires back on Bethany. And then Monday, he comes and clears the temple out. And he says, my house has become a house of, it should be called a house of prayer, but you're making it into a robber's den. So these, these ungodly tributaries are flowing out of the main heart of what was supposed to be religion and devotion to God. And he curses a fig tree. Seems innocuous, but he curses a fig tree. And then on Tuesday, they see it. This fig tree that he has cursed is now withered and dead. But this symbolic picture that that which has given fruit is now dead. The temple is going to be gone. All the sacrificial system through that is going to be dead. And we're going on into the new covenant. So Tuesday, you see that. And then Wednesday, we have the, the Olivet Discourse. Meditate on that this week. Mark 13. And this is also when the chief priests and the elders gather with Caiaphas. And they plot together how they will seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. That's Wednesday and then Thursday evening. We have Monday, Thursday. When the Lord has his last meal with his disciples before the crucifixion. And as Thursday evening flows into Monday morning, we have these hours of prayer, anguishing prayer in Gethsemane. Where Christ is is now known what's going to happen, but now he is so close to it actually transpiring, this crucifixion. And he's in anguish, but he's praying, God, not my will, but your will be done. Roughly around maybe 4.30 in the morning, Friday morning, Judas shows up with the temple guard. He betrays him with a kiss. They bring him to Caiaphas, the high priest, and they have some sham trial that they shouldn't be having. In in this place, there's also a dungeon down below his house. How convenient. The the high priest has a little little makeshift dungeon below his house. He goes from Caiaphas to Pilate to Herod. We can find nothing wrong with him. And then Herod back to Pilate, who himself can find nothing wrong with him. But the crowds begin to cry out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate's put in the position where he knows, I have Rome pressing on me here. If I don't give these people what they want, there's going to be consequences to pay. And so he turns them over to the soldiers for crucifixion. And he's on the cross for six hours. After whippings and beatings, he's up on the cross for six hours, the last three hours in anguish and darkness as a wrath of God. God the Father is poured out on him. And then the sun begins to set, and it's going to be the Sabbath. 
No work can be done on the Sabbath, but you can't leave them up on the cross. So the two most unlikely of characters, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, come and take his body and frantically prepare it and try to get it in the tomb before sundown. And they, they make it. Christ's body spends its Sabbath resting in the tomb. All of this in preparation for the glory of our great hope, the resurrection, on Sunday morning. So this week, take time, press everything out of the, out of the way. Clear your schedule. Meditate on this to prepare your hearts for the glory of the resurrection. Make time for this, this week. You see that the humble are lifted and the pride the prideful are humbled. The, masked, the masses are in frenzy over the coming king. You see this direct confrontation in the temple. And maybe you, while you're being devoted to God in, in prayer and meditation with him, maybe you too have been betrayed for, by your friends. Meditate on this. You're not alone. But now, we're on the first Sunday. The triumphal entry. And you see the beginning movements of what all is going to transpire over this, this week. Where history is just kind of focusing in all on what's going to be happening here this week. So let's go back to the text here. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately... As you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord. The Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. Verse 4. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, "Why are what are you doing untying the colt? And they said to them what Jesus had said. And they let them go. Get a little layout here. Bethany and Beth uh, Page are suburbs of Jerusalem here. So as you're coming down from the Sea of Galilee, the masses of the people will be coming down from the Sea of Galilee, going along the Jordan River. You have water. You're able to walk in, well, during the heat. You still have some water. And you make this turn around Jericho. And begin your upward march towards Jerusalem. As you're ascending spiritually, you're also ascending physically up to encounter the Lord. And what you come, and you're going to come first to Bethany, which means the house of dates. And then also then to Bethpage. There are several hills here. So you have uh, Bethany, and then several more hills. Bethpage, a little more Mount of Olives in which you're able to overlook Jerusalem. From the Mount of Olives, you go down in this Kidron Valley, and then into Jerusalem, the eastern gates of Jerusalem. So Christ is coming here. And you notice first here in the text, he's kind of giving the, the circumstances around it, but this, this unwavering command of the, the disciples, Go. And the command for them to give whatever they had. All you have is a colt? Well, that's fine. That'll do. We'll take it. 
And it's, it's this, we can't lose sight. The same Spirit still moves among us, asking for us to surrender ourselves and whatever we might have. A cold, well, that's fine, that'll do, we'll take it. Five loaves and two fish, well, that's more than enough. Well, I can't speak well, maybe you think, and I, I don't quite know what to say. Well, that's fine, you'll be in good company with Moses. My home is too small and it's rather cluttered. Well, that's fine. Offer it in devotion to the Lord. Offer it in service to the Lord. Unless you think that you're, you're going to give too much. Look back at the text. What happens? Say the Lord has need of it and what? He will send it back here immediately. The Lord will return what he has taken from you. There's no epitaph on someone's grave. It says, I have what I gave. Remember in the Gospels here, Peter, words, Peter's responding to Christ in, in these difficult words where Christ is saying how they shall follow him. And Jesus said to him, Everyone who has left houses, Brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. A many who are first will be last and the last shall be first. And so what did he do? This, this owner of the cult, he gave it in service to the Lord. He got it back. You give your life. Well, you, you're going to get it back. Imagine the pride he had, right? It could have been all he had for animals to help him out. But imagine the pride he had through the rest of his life, for however long this cold lived, every time he saddled it up or used it to carry something, knowing that it carried the king of all kings. Give whatever you have. Give it all. Give it all to the service of the Lord. That's how we respond to the king. That's the proper posture to the king is when he says, go, we go. When he says, come, come. When he says, give this in service to my kingdom. Well, we do it. Knowing that he will give it all back. So now, if he's going to require this obedience... For the owner of this cold to triumphantly enter into Jerusalem. Well, think about it. Won't he, he require that same obedience from us as a means to ride, not just into Jerusalem, but a means to ride in triumph over all of his creation? Not with just the, the children and the men and the women in Jerusalem crying out, and, but all of his people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation crying out in adulation and glory to him. Will it not require also our obedience? So it's not just that we put also what we have into the offering of the Lord. We put who we are. We put ourselves there. And some of us are sitting here. And you will gladly offer all that you have, but you will never lay down your own hearts. You will give all of it you have. Yeah, it looks religious and you look great and it looks good. But you, but you know not God. 
And you've approached him on some kind of a transactional level where you can give him a little bit of this, a little bit of time, maybe a little bit of tithe or whatever. But your heart is still held back. Well, you're not going to give him your heart. Come to him. The command of Christ is to give him all that, all that you have. But not only that, but to also give him all that you are, even even yourself. This is how we respond to the king. And that's what, exactly what we see in our text here. The command to give is necessarily followed by obedience. And they let them go. Even if it's something as small, as small as a colt. And maybe you're asking yourself here, why, why a colt? And you're, you're actually asking a really good question. So it's not as though they're, they're in the first century and they're living sedentary Western lifestyles. No, it's not as though he's been walking a while and he finds himself famished and tired and he goes, ah, I need a ride. Give me a ride. Give me a colt. You go. No, no. There's much more that, that, that's going on here. So when we have questions like that in the New Testament, look to the Old Testament. So what's the foundation of this? If you have questions about that in the Old Testament, look to the New Testament. And ask yourself, how is, I'm not seeing this clearly, how is this fulfilled in Christ? Well, we read it for our call to worship here. Zechariah 9, certain, you can turn there if you want. Matthew, keep going back. Malachi, Zechariah, right there. Verse 9. Chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. And here are you people. Hear, so what do you do? You hear the people singing. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're fulfilling this prophecy in their own midst. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he. And this is here is the key to interpreting all that's going on here. That the king is coming and he's coming to bring salvation. That is what you need. You don't need Rome to be gone. You don't need that. No, what you need is salvation. The problem is not the Romans. The problem is not your spouse. The problem is not your job. The problem is the sin within you that you love. That's the problem. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. This kingdom is the kingdom of peace, you see. Blessed is the coming of our father David. You see here in verse 10 of our text in Mark. Verse 10 in Zechariah. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. It's a kingdom of peace. There's no chariots. And the war horse from Jerusalem, it's a kingdom of peace. The war horses are gone and the battle bow shall be cut off again. It's a kingdom of peace that shall endure no need for a battle bow. And he shall speak to the nations and rule from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. So every other kingdom has, knows its boundaries. The Greeks made it, from, made it to India. Romans didn't quite make it past the Rhine River. America, we have 
our borders. But this kingdom shall be expansive and it shall be eternal. Go back to verse 11 in Zechariah 9. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I shall set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Redemption shall come through the blood of this king, through the blood of this lamb. And it's all being set into motion as this king is now riding into Jerusalem as they're fulfilling this prophecy. It's not only, so if you want to see what's happening here in the triumphal entry, and, and you have to take it in several different layers and you, you stack them all up, right? So you have your gospel accounts of the triumphal entry. Good. It's understandable. If you want to understand a little bit more, boom, put Zechariah 9. See it in lens of that. You want to understand it a little bit more? Genesis 49. Ezekiel 37, verses 24, 25. The halal. Psalm 113 through 118. Stack all of these up and then you begin to see the glory of what's actually happening here. Another layer, Genesis 49. When um, Jacob is on his deathbed and he's um, telling some of his children, you guys are idiots, you're getting nothing. Tells Judah, uh, you're getting everything, basically. Genesis 49, verse 10, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, the ruler's staff from between his feet, the king sitting down on his throne. He has the scepter, the scepter of power. Again, this is pointing to Christ, being fulfilled in Christ. Lived out through Judah, fulfilled in Christ. Until tribute comes to him. And you hear the people crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This tribute is beginning to come. And to him shall the obedience, shall be the obedience of the people. Binding a fool to his vine and the donkey called to the choice vine. He shall wash his garments in wine and this, and his vesture, his garments again in the blood of grapes. So you see that the blessing will come through the king who washes his own garments in his own blood. That's what's being set into motion. We don't have time, but look up this week, Ezekiel 37, verses 24 and 25 as well. So I hope you're beginning to see it's not just that Jesus is tired and he needs a ride um, while some people are singing some obscure psalm that you've maybe read, maybe probably haven't, and in their waving palm branches. No, that's not what's happening here. The long-awaited king is coming into his kingdom. This is This is massive. The eternal king is coming into his eternal kingdom. And he's going to be enthroned. And he's going to be enthroned upon a cross. That is what's happening here. So you see even here with the promise of Zechariah. That you are set free by the blood. By the blood of his covenant. Think about that while we partake in the Lord's Supper. So it's even even more kingly language here that it's a cold. Not one that's just been used and tired, worn out, but one that's never been ridden. So if you recall that Solomon becomes king, first kings, rather than um, Adonijah. Adonijah is actually his older brother. Adonijah has the military on his side. 
And they begin offering, making sacrifices as well, trying to set himself up to do these kingly things in the midst of the people. But how do they know that Solomon is now the king by the decree of David? They anoint him. But the visual sign is that he's riding David's colt, his donkey. Then the people, then the masses start rising. Oh, Solomon is king. May he live forever. May he live forever. That's how they know that he's the king, by riding on on this donkey. Okay, so we've seen the commands of Christ and the obedience of the people. We've seen the the people of God and their their, their deep adoration of God. That's what we're going to be seeing. And this is not just some... Palm branches in, in obscure psalms. That's not what's happening. This is deep, deep fulfillment of fulfillment of fulfillment of fulfillment of all of these things. All of scriptures, again, pointing to Christ. And that's the glory of what you're seeing unfold before you in this text. So let's go through the, the rest of the verses here. Starting verse 7. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches they had caught out um, from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the kingdom, coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! So Jesus Christ is, his, his, his ministry is growing in popularity as will happen when you're, you're raising people from the dead. He, um, in John you see that he's, um, he's just raised Lazarus from the dead. And so the crowds are beginning to adore him. He has a group of people that have come down with him and to be with, alongside of him from the Sea of Galilee. But now you're also having the group of people come out from Jerusalem as well. So all of those who are coming down from the Sea of Galilee and those who are coming from Jerusalem, all coming together as he's coming and sitting on his donkey. And you can feel the fervor rising and rising and rising. And it, the, the fire is jumping from heart to heart and it's overflowing. It's, the fire in their hearts is now coming out through their mouths. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And how do they show their adoration? They begin spreading their cloaks and waving their palm branches, which is how you would welcome a king in the east. That's how you would do it. You wave your palm branches. And just as with Jehu when he's anointed king, northern Israel. Jehu is king. And they throw down their cloaks so he doesn't even touch the ground as he is walking. So here he is, this king. And what they're proclaiming and what you're visually seeing are not adding up. Unless you realize that the kingdom... Of heaven is nothing like the kingdom of this of any world here. So here he is, the king of all kings, but he doesn't have an army. He's a king and he's humbly striding to Jerusalem and to his death. He's a king that will conquer, but he will conquer in peace. How? By shedding blood. By shedding his own blood. And he sits here on the top of the Mount of Olives that's overlooking Jerusalem. And he's violently weeping. 
over the destruction that will come to Jerusalem because of their rejection of him. And he alone, he's silent with the marks of the tears still upon his cheeks. And those who were going before him and those who were going after him are crying out, Hosanna, which is kind of two words, um, uh, Yasha, which means to, to save. Um, like Yeshua, the one deliver us, the, the deliverer. And now, I pray. So, save us, we pray. Save us, crying out, not even fully realizing what is happening here. Here's this king, and they're, they're crying out, Hosanna, save us now, save us, we pray. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Again, the heart, there's a flame and it's dancing from heart to heart. What's also happening here, multiple layers. What's also happening is that in these, in these jubilant occasions, the Jewish people, they would sing the halal. Just sing it straight through, Psalm 113 through 118, these six psalms. And it's as if they were singing over Christ in adoration Things that they had no idea that was being fulfilled in their midst. The, even the disciples didn't know until after the resurrection. And then it all starts adding up. It's as, if, as if the sovereign God who controls all things, every waving stalk of wheat, every leaf that rustles its way to the ground, is even controlling the hearts and the cries of his people as they sing over his son. Turn also to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. A little bit of a turner today. Psalm 118. Though. As you're finishing up this halal, as he's going in, look at, we'll start here in verses 19. Psalm 118, verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them as they're coming to Jerusalem, coming up to these eastern gates. This is the gate of the Lord, and the righteous shall enter through it. Who's the righteous one? Well, it's Christ. The heroes of the righteous one shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. Here he is. The salvation of all the nations they are riding. I thank you that you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected have, has become the cornerstone. This is picked up by Peter later on as well. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is not us. This is the Lord's doing who is making all of this happen. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in that. And they cry out, save us, we pray. In the Hebrew, it's the same. It is. Oh, Lord, save us, we pray, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So what's happening here is the gospel writers will shorthand just put in that. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then you realize, oh, they're talking about the halal. Oh, they're singing all of this. Oh, this is amazing. Just in the same way, the gospel writers will uh, say, um, Christ quoting Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, it's not just that. It's shorthand to say all of Psalm 22. Look at that in the midst of this. So that's the gospel writer's way of shorthand saying, look at the halal here, verse chapter uh, Psalm 
113 through 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. And he has made his light to shine upon us. Here's the light of Christ shining upon them. They're singing out these cries of jubilant adulation. And they don't even know the depths of what's happening around them. Wind up the festival sacrifice with cords upon the horns of the altar. And here is Christ. The great sacrifice who will make the final sacrifice on the altar of the cross. So now the shadows of the walls and the temple are beginning Becoming to become long. And the evening is coming. Then we have verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. And when he looked around at everything. As it was already late. He went out to Bethany with the twelve. So how do we live out this adoration to the king? We've kind of talked about it already. Number one is just obey the commands of Christ. Whatever he may ask of you, realize one, that it was already, it was given to you by him. And two, just give up joyfully back to his feet, not begrudgingly. Whatever the king asks of you, give it. If it's a cold, we'll give him a cold. If it's time, we'll give him your time. If it's your heart, give him your heart. So how do you adore the king? How do you live that out? Well, you obey his commands. Number two, you give him the deepest of your affections. And Christ comes to you. And sing out to him in a way that's even beyond your comprehension. That your heart would be so enlivened and so set ablaze, ablaze by the Spirit. That you would just find yourself crying out, God, save us, save us now. Blessed are you, God, who comes in the name of the Lord. So cry out to him as we see here among the masses. Cry out to him that he might save you. That in all of your heart, he might bring you life. And that you might see him as the king of all kings and adore him as such. Let's pray. God, let us give thanks to the Lord, for you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. That the people of God, God, let us say your steadfast love endures forever. Let us in our home say your steadfast love endures forever. In our distress, God, let us call upon you, for we know that you will answer us. Give us eyes to see, God, the glory of your Son, the true King, the eternal King, God. Soften our hearts to not praise ourselves, but to praise the one and only King, God. Give us a desire to ascribe to Him and give Him all of the glory that He is due. As we come and partake of this, God, partake of communion.
Let us delight in our King, who is also the sacrifice. Amen. Amen.